Warning, the following video contains disturbing material that may be inappropriate for younger viewers. Parental discretion is advised. Lost in the woods was a phrase that my father used a lot. Should we be out in the world and witness somebody acting out in a way, that boy is lost in the woods, he would say, shaking his head in the parental disappointment sort of way, even if they weren't his child. When I reached my early teens, struggling to find a place amongst my peers, you're lost in the woods, kid, he'd say, in a far more sympathetic and compassionate manner. I endured some hard times over the years, while I tried to find somewhere I belonged in this world, but my dad was always there for me. Though I wasn't exactly an outdoorsy type, his words were always reassuring. Even if I hoped to never be caught dead in a forest, let alone lost in one, we would inevitably talk about my problems after he would diagnose my symptoms in his own special way. But I learned to understand how the same saying would read differently, depending on the situation. Even during the last few weeks, he battled against the cancer devouring him from the inside out. He too was lost in the woods. I like to think that when he passed, when his suffering reached its end, he finally saw what lay beyond the trees. I suppose it was only fitting that when I drove home from his funeral that I found myself in a far more literal version of his all-purpose metaphor. Over that time, I became certain that I would be joining my old man outside the borders of the forest. So soon after he made the trip himself, I had chosen not to ride with my mom and stepfather, Dale, as I wanted to be alone with my thoughts. I didn't have any problem with my mother's husband, He'd always treated me well enough. My parents had remained close after the divorce, as they both agreed they were always better friends than lovers. Dad got along with his replacement better than most under such circumstances, but it always felt like Daryl tried a little too hard when my old man was around. It may have been nothing more than the inherited jealousy a man feels towards a significant other's ex. Maybe he had some insecurities about the situation, but Pop and I would always laugh about it when we were alone. I was always tight with my dad, far more so than anyone else in my life, with him being the one I turned to when I needed to talk. I wanted to be alone on this one. I think I needed to. Had I written with my mom, Dale would have likely tried his damnedest to get me to talk about how I was feeling, which I was remotely not ready to do. Even when the rain began to pour down from above, I was mostly mentally checked out as my car glided from one road to the next. The spot in which my dad wanted to be buried was some miles into the next state over the one he grew up in before relocating back in the day. While the path I traversed that day was somewhat unfamiliar, my subconscious was able to focus on the road while my mind drifted beyond the confines of my old Chevy. I suppose that's why it took me a minute to register the truck ahead of me, sharply veering into the other lane by the time I noticed where the road had split, opening another fissure in the tarmac. I didn't have a chance to miss it. For lack of better term, for skipping onto a large gap in the pavement, happened so quickly that I was only vaguely aware of what was happening before everything went black. The heavy rainfall we had experienced on and off for weeks had led to a few of these fissures forming across the state, be it from poorly maintained roads or simply years of water seeping between the cracks. I couldn't say. It wasn't exactly my area of expertise or anything. 
I remember my dad saying something over the previous month or so, that the cities would be buried beside him by the time the dust settled. Maybe it was just the medication talking, but he feared that hell itself may be reaching through the cracks, scratching its tendrils through the very foundation of reality to claim the world for its own, one stretch of road at a time. When my eyes blunked back into awareness, my dramatic shift in surroundings caught me off guard at first. While I had been in the helm of my old Chevy when I blacked out, the fact that I found myself laying splayed out on the floor of an unfamiliar forest took me a moment to fully grasp. The rain had stopped, leading me to believe I must have been out for a while. But when I pressed my palms to the ground and found that it wasn't even damp, I began to question my sanity. You're lost in the woods, kid, I heard echoing in the back of my mind, as I hesitantly raised from the dirt to trembling and weakened legs, attempting to rationalize my relocation while I slept. I assumed that somebody must have pulled me from the likely crumpled car before dragging me into the middle of the woods that stood beside the road I was traversing. Why anyone would do this, I couldn't quite fathom. Maybe, I thought. More cracks opened up, so someone carried me here. Perhaps they thought the road wasn't safe, so they dropped me off before going for help. Not the most likely rationalization, but it was something. While I gazed around my newfound surroundings, seeking out any indication of which direction would lead me back to the road, I became more aware of the unsettling silence. Being the middle of winter, the bare skeletal trees and dead leaves lying on the forest floor didn't feel out of place, but I couldn't find no evidence or anything else alive out there. Glancing upwards, the blank and gray sky appeared lifeless as the world around me. I couldn't even feel a breeze. While I still wore the suit I donned for my father's funeral, one that wasn't exactly made for winter weather, it wasn't as chilly as I would have expected. It wasn't warm either, mind you but everything felt wrong somehow. The colors looked muted in a way. The bark of the trees was an almost sticky, grayish brown. The discarded leaves scattered across the ground were more yellowed and diseased looking than I would have expected. Even the drab sky felt more like a ceiling over the woods than a vast emptiness. Adding a strange sense of claustrophobia to my already scattered senses, while all I could hear was my heartbeat against the inner walls of my ears, the crunching beneath my feet when I finally took a step almost caused me to recoil. Being out in the wilderness, surrounded by such emptiness and quiet, was far more unsettling to me than how I ended up here in the first place. I was in a daze while I trudged onward in no particular direction, with only more stripped down trees being all I could see and make out in any direction. I had no way of knowing which potential path would be the right one. Regardless of my uncertainty, I knew I had to keep moving. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I had a strange sense of urgency assuring me that I must reach the border of the forest as quick as possible. The scenery remained unchanging, even after walking for what felt like a few hours. At the beginning of my stroll, I'd fished my phone out of my pocket, only to see the broken screen and the absence of any black light or life behind the shattered glass. Even the last thing I remembered before waking up in this place was crashing into a damn hole. It wasn't hard to accept that my device had not survived. Even if my body was somehow unscathed, I had no idea how much time had passed when the humming sound began. That's about the best way I can describe it. A hum that started soft, growing steadily louder, as if something was approaching me. Had it not been for the almost suffocating quiet of my surroundings, I likely wouldn't have even noticed it until it engulfed me, if that was indeed its intent. For all I knew, the unsettling vibration that accompanied it was something good, something I should approach rather than run from. Ultimately, I wasted no time deliberating the options, opting to transform my stroll into an outright sprint for my life, with the noise obtaining from behind me. 
I could only hope that speeding away from it was the right call. To fully illustrate where my head was at the time, I think I assumed that I had landed in some sort of purgatory, somewhere between life and death after the accident. Being that I saw no sign of the road that I had quite literally crashed into, it seemed a reasonable assumption. Without working theory, that I must escape these woods to reclaim my mortal shell. My immediate fear was that the sound belonged to that which would send me to whatever afterlife awaited me. That, or it was something far more sinister, perhaps intent on leading me to the gates of hell itself. When a subtle mist joined the ambient and elevating hum, gently caressing the forest floor beneath my quickly tiring legs, I grew far more certain I had to escape whatever was happening. While I ached from head to toe, something that somewhat contradicted my theory, being absent of living flesh at the time, my frenzied thoughts were interrupted by the ground shifting to a steep downward slant. For the briefest moment I felt weightless as my feet found nothing to land on. Slipping on dried leaves when they finally did make contact, I was so caught off guard, having been otherwise occupied with both my surroundings and the oncoming storm. For lack of better term, my mind fought as much as my flailing limbs while I tumbled towards more uncertainty. If nothing else, when my fall came to an end, with my body splayed out, face down on another unfamiliar bed of dried leaves, the humming vibrations felt further off again. My mind fought to remain conscious as the dizziness of my quickly paced descent caused the world to spin around me, but I could not allow myself to pass out there, not with whatever was pursuing me. As I pushed my palms against the ground, struggling to get somewhat upright before the darkness could swallow me whole, Something happened that most certainly brought my wavering consciousness back into the dire circumstances. Stay down, friend. The stranger who seemingly appeared out of nowhere said, pushing me down by my shoulder. Regardless of his encouragement, I landed hard, having completely lost my footing, being surprised by the unexpected touch. Shh, he said, crouching down beside where I now sat. Just let it drift on by. I followed his gaze back to the steep hill I had tumbled down, to see that dense white fog lining the woods above like a cloud. While I had assumed the unusual mist to be something chasing after me, the full weight of that irrational thought didn't sink in until I watched it shift directions. Some thirty feet above, while it was so thick, it almost resembled an enormous, sentient cotton ball. It had ripples throughout like waves running against the direction of a stream, spiraling endlessly as it hovered in place. It was somewhat confusing to look upon, but the way it jerked one way, with the bizarre rapids flowing backwards, but it was clear that some sort of consciousness guided it. After it pulled to the right and left, swaying this way and that, it finally came to a halt, spinning around and around, as for waiting for something, or someone in this case. While I didn't know whether or not I should trust my new companion, his reassuring grip on my shoulder helped me more than I could understand at the time, though I hadn't looked at him yet. Just having someone by my side, after hours of solitude, drugging through the seemingly never-ending forest, encouraged me to remain as still as possible. We both continued to glare upwards, even after the fog began to dissipate, before drifting back the way it came. For some minutes after its retreat, I was scared to move a muscle, even after the stranger let his grip on my shoulder slip free. Should be okay. For now, anyways, he said lifting himself back from the ground. What was that? I asked, getting to my feet. Finally having the opportunity to take in the appearance of this man. I felt a little more at ease, noticing the uniform he was wearing. It was similar to a police outfit, but one I recognized more of a park ranger. I hadn't spent a lot of time out in such a place over the years, but I was certain that's what it was, considering our location. He looked a little older than me, thin but in decent shape. 
He pulled his wide-brimmed hat from his short brown hair, wiping his sweating brow with the back of his forearm. He had a neatly trimmed beard, a few shades darker than his hair, and stood a couple of inches taller than me. Nothing you want to get caught up in, he said, placing his hat back in place. That's a damn fact. He looked back at me, giving me a small smile. It was then that I noticed his eyes were an almost translucent sky blue, though I assumed he was likely wearing some sort of novelty contacts or something. They were still almost mesmerizing. Of course, given the fact that everything around us was so lifeless, drowned in muted, depressing colors, it may have been nothing more than the stark contrast of something so lively amid everything else appearing so lifeless and cold. Tucker, he said, holding out his hand. Maxwell Tucker, Ranger Tuck around these parts. Nathan, Nathan Solomon. Um, Nate, I replied, shaking his hand. Nice to meet you, Nate. Let's get moving, yeah? Yeah. The more we talked as we walked onward, continuing the direction I was going. Something I wasn't entirely sure of, considering that my tumble had potentially altered my trajectory. The more I felt comfortable with this guy. His voice had a friendly tone. There was something warm and inviting about it, like I was chatting with an old friend, rather than someone I had just only met. He spoke of strange occurrences in the woods. Woods I had apparently been alongside when the road swallowed up my car. While I didn't want to get into strange occurrences, being that I was already freaked out by everything, I still couldn't have figured out how I ended up here. So far from my likely totaled Chevy. Likely, Ranger Tug said. It dragged you in here. Deep into the heart of it. Wouldn't be the first time. It? I mean, it who? Folks around here just call it the Grey. It seems to enjoy messing with folks. The ones that don't finish off right away anyway. Wait, I said stopping in my tracks. So some guy screws around with people, leaves them for dead, or just straight out kills them? He tilted his head with a shrug. And that's okay? Like the police doesn't do anything about it? You rangers just let it continue? Some sick bastard is loose out there. And you guys never said it was a man. It ain't exactly something that fits into normal conversation, you know? Nah, friend. This ain't nothing natural sneaking through the cracks. Can't say what it is. But it ain't bound by our laws. Okay, I said, attempting to push aside my beliefs for the time. Why all this then? Why drag me? God knows how far into this damn place, only to leave me to wander around. It likes games, for whatever reason. It enjoys the hunt, the chase. We've been able to save some, but most end up the same way, whether it does it right off the bat, or after making them think they have a chance. Suppose it depends on what kind of mood it's in at the time. Could be you just got lucky. Lucky? Are you serious? I crashed my car, ended up in the middle of this damn freaking forest, and damn near broke my legs running from a cloud, which I can't even believe I'm saying with a straight face. You found me, he said with a smirk and a wink. So are you ready to get out of here or what? Well, I can't say this especially put me at ease. His carefree expression did make me feel better about things. Yes, yes, it would seem that I was only one of many that would fall victim to the gray, whatever the hell that was. But Ranger Tuck had seemingly witnessed what the thing was capable of and lived to tell the tale. I had to believe I was in good hands. I still didn't speak much as we plundered onward, but I did feel hopeful that I would see the other side of this, given that neither the accident nor the tumble down the hill left me as beaten and bruised as I could have been. Maybe my wandering companion was right. Perhaps I was lucky. That's what I began to believe, anyway. Right before fear took a hold of me once more. Run, Tuck said, having noticed the approaching fog before I did. When I grew aware of that humming sound once more, my heart beat quick and faster than my feet at first, though we did as he demanded, both of us sprinting as hard as our legs were capable of, those smoky tentacles began to wrap around our surroundings, weaving between and around trees on both sides, 
It almost felt as if those attempting to flank us, to force us forward, rather than allowing us to veer or separate. Don't slow down, the ranger called out, noticing the power behind my strides dwindling. I was doing everything I could to force one leg in front of the other, but when the sound of thick bark cracking and splitting reached my ear, it took everything I had to remain upright, let alone continue charging onward. I felt the fingers of my companion wrap around my waist as he pulled me alongside him. How he still had so much strength in his extremities, I had no clue. But his encouragement and support succeeded in filling me with more purpose and drive to keep charging forward toward the hope of freedom. Don't let up, he said, not so much as glancing from the path ahead. We can make it. Just keep pushing. You can rest when we're out of here. Regardless of his determination, the sight of those wispy tentacles now weaving themselves around the trees ahead assured me that our options were running out as the misty fingers entwined before us. Seeing the path ahead shut, we both practically skid to a halt. Falling back to the forest floor, the white smog formed a dense, misty wall in a circle around where we lay, leaving only the ground and the sky free of its grasp. It was over. Whatever game it had been playing had reached its conclusion. The time had come for it to claim its prize. There was nowhere to go unless the ranger who already saved me once had a set of wings or a fast-acting shovel he hadn't informed me about. I'm sorry, friend, he said, glancing back at me as we lifted ourselves from the ground, preparing to meet our shared fate. As the flowing rapids within the ivory smoke continued to spiral around us, I felt my heart racing so quick, I fear I may pass out any second. While the idea of not being conscious to experience whatever was about to happen did seem an almost welcome sensation, my mind and body were scattered to the four winds at that point. It's not your fault, Tucker. I said, attempting to fend off the trembling in my voice. If it wasn't for you, I'd be dead already. The cylinder of dense fog began to shrink, closing on us from every angle, stopping its approach only feet from where we stood. You're not following me, Tuck said, slowly drifting his head all around. It looked as if the wispy feet were stepping from the fog, as though a ghostly arm was hidden away within. More mist flooded upwards, forming some sort of spiderweb dome above us. As legs began to trail out, Followed by almost translucent bodies, the smoke peeled away between each one, like cotton candy being separated. That ain't what I'm sorry about. As the arms reached from each misty torso, every one of them with elongated fingers, ready to snatch us up from where we stood. My companion moved so quick, my mind hadn't had a chance to understand what was happening. I'm sorry I can't go further with you, he said, grasping my shoulders in his hands. Just keep running and don't look back. Before I had a chance to protest or otherwise argue against it, I felt my feet lifting from the dried leaves as my body was launched through the gaps ahead, tearing through the already torn strips of dense, stringy fog. Go! I heard screaming out from the strange ball of wispy energy as a light began to illuminate within. While I wanted to fight back, to free the one who had thrown me to freedom, as effortlessly as he was tossing a towel into the laundry hamper, I wouldn't even know where to start. While the ripples of smoke encased him, the high-pitched shrill squeal that accompanied the vibrant glow damn near turned my hair white. Go! His now almost tortured voice shrieked once more, sounding as if those experiencing a pain that I could barely fathom, whether it was simply my desire to escape that ensured me that I do as he commanded, to get off my ass and run even harder than I ran before, or just that I knew there was nothing I could do to help him. I couldn't say. But I was ashamed of my actions nonetheless. Not only had he saved my life twice by this point, but I had to believe he was sacrificing himself to save me. 
Given the tortured howl that welled out from behind me as I sped onward in search of safety, I was certain this was the fate met by those other poor souls who encountered the Grey. When the agonizing scream bled into an explosion, sounding as if though it fragmented those trees surrounding where the ranger made his final stand, the shockwave tossed me back into the forest floor like a ragdoll. As I lay there, feeling my consciousness slipping back into the black, I couldn't tell what sort of condition I was in. My mind slipping, I tried to push up from the dirt and dead leaves, but that concussion had drained every ounce of strength I had left. Before my eyes closed, dropping me back into almost blissful darkness, I heard a familiar voice, one that was almost surprising enough to keep me from drifting away. You're gonna be alright now. See you around, friend. The hospital bed I woke up in felt heavenly after passing out in the woods, or so I thought, anyway. When my mom came running up to my bedside with Dale, smiling down at me by her side, I was still out of it, be it from whatever they fed into my veins to take the edge off the pounding in my head, or simply whatever damage lay beneath the gauze around my scalp and forehead, I had no clue. We talked a little while awaiting the doctor, my mother trying to fight back tears that streamed down her face, with my stepfather's arm wrapped around her midsection, though what she told me didn't quite match up to my recollection of things, that it took the firefighters and paramedics some time to pull me free from the wrecked car halfway swallowed up by the fissure in the road. I didn't fully register the implications at the time. When my doctor arrived, stating that he was confident with the surgery performed on my cracked skull had been a success, I still assumed that the injury had been caused by the shockwave throwing me to the forest floor. The cast around my left leg, as well as the bandages around my left wrist and both hands, would take less time to heal than a fractured dome, but he felt certain I would make a full recovery in due time. Over the months that followed my short stay in the hospital, I went through a great deal of work to retrain my broken body and mind, once I had healed enough to do so. Before long, I was cleared to return to work, having made a full recovery from my injuries, as the doctor had predicted. The three-inch scar across my hairline isn't too noticeable, and neither are those across my wrist, but the marks on my hand from the minced meat left, and the wake of my windshield crashing down on it, stand out like a literal sore thumb. Still, some battle scars are a small price to pay. All things considered, once life returned to normal, I took a short trip one weekend back to the woods that I had crashed alongside. It took me a while to locate the ranger station, but I had to find out if Maxwell Tucker was real or just a figment of my fractured mind. Whether I hoped this could provide some answers about what I truly experienced that day, I also wanted to be able to thank him for what he did for me. When I pulled up beside the quite lovely log cabin that appears to house the rangers in this slice of forest, a uniformed man and woman leaning on one of the jeeps gave me a wave. While I thought about beginning with a little small talk, as I climbed out of my dad's old truck to approach the two wearing friendly smiles, I thought it best to just get right to the point. Hi, I said, tipping the brim of my baseball cap. Would you happen to know if Ranger Tucker's around? Tucker? The tall, broad-shouldered guy asked, glancing at his associate. The woman who looked to be in her mid-thirties, early forties, with her dark hair tied in a ponytail beneath her wide-brimmed hat formed a strange sort of scowl and as she blinked from her colleague to me. Only Tucker we had around these parts ain't around no more, she said, squinting her eyes as she studied me. Oh, Maxwell Tucker. Is that him? Ranger Tuck? Uh-huh, she said, giving me a very strange look. He used to work with us some 15 years back. Oh, wow. I could have sworn he was around my age, I said with an awkward laugh. Do you happen to know where he is now? Same place he's been for a decade and a half, son, she said, gesturing to the left with a tilt of her head. When I turned to see a small cemetery up on the hill, I felt all of the blood drain from my face, my legs giving out beneath me. Whoa now, the woman called out, she and her partner catching me before I hit the ground, after they carried me inside laying me on a lumpy yet comfortable couch. 
The tall man fetched me some water, while one of the others laid a wet towel across my brow. After my heartbeat regulated, Ranger Angie Temple, who had helped me inside, accompanied me on a stroll up to the old boneyard. We talked a great deal over the hours that followed, while I was hesitant to tell her how I met Ranger Tucker. She told me a great deal about the man who consequently saved both of our lives. She was still green around the gills back then, with Tuck being her trainer. One day, six months after joining the Rangers, they responded to a call about an attack in the woods, those that ran alongside the road that swallowed my car. Assuming it to be a bear, or some other wildlife having jumped innocent campers, they headed out to the scene, armed and prepared. I felt like my damn heart was about to burst into my chest, but Tuck looked just as calm as if he was walking to the kitchen to fetch a snack. Angie said with a chuckle, running her hand across the tombstone bearing his name. When they arrived to see a large, shaggy-haired man with a pistol trained on a crying teenage girl he held, and a butane torch in the other hand wrapped around her, she was uncertain if this was something they could handle. The boy around her age, laying on the ground, bleeding upon the leaves, looked like he was long gone. But all of this was enough for the fear to almost paralyze her where she stood. Again, Tuck still wore a cheerful smile as he tried to calm the situation, attempting to convince the disturbed man to release his hostage. For a second there, I thought he was about to pull it off, Angie said, a tear leaking from her right eye. But then the big guy raised the gun, pointing it right at me, pushing the girl he held to the ground. I knew I was done for. She lowered her head, still caressing the gravestone, like a dear friend. The sadness etched on her gaze almost inspired my own eyes to leak as hers did, but I tried to fight them back. As soon as he raised the pistol to me, Tug jumped right in front of me, knocking me out of the way. How he knew he didn't have a time to get a shot off before the gun discharged, before the gun on me discharged, I'll never know. But it all played out in seconds right in front of me. When the bullet dropped him to the ground beside me, I already fired off three rounds myself. At least one of the shots hit the canister the bastard held, blowing it apart and lighting him up like Joan of Arc in seconds. He still tried to fire off the shots he had left. I jumped towards the girl and pulled her away before she got caught up in the flames or the gunfire. But it was too late for Tuck. He was gone before he hit the grass. We stood in silence for a moment, both of us staring down at the headstone. When she spoke again, I once more found myself lost for words, bewildered by everything she shared with me. The man we took down that day turned out to be a foul son of a bitch. Seems he'd been killing folks for years until Tuck and I put an end to him. If nothing else, I take some solace in knowing that Tuck was the last victim of Jeremiah Gray. Gray? I said, almost more to myself. Yup, she said, crouching down to wipe some dirt from the tombstone. Won't see no Gray for him, though. Don't know what they did with what was left of him after the fire died down. And don't give too much of a damn either. He took Tuck away from us, and he deserved that agonizing end. When the law arrived, all that was left was a crispy frame, billowing plumes of thick, white smoke. According to Stacy, the girl that survived that day, Gray had kidnapped her about a week before. He tortured her some over that time, finally setting her loose in those woods. He told her he'd let her go free if she got out safely, but if he caught up to her, he'd put her through hell. The boy bleeding on the grass was the one who called it in, having witnessed what was happening while he was taking a hike. Poor kid didn't know what hit him when Gray got there before we did. I never told her the full story about how I came to meet Maxwell Tucker, nor the implications of what or who we perhaps both faced between these trees. We talked a lot since I joined the Rangers soon after that meeting. We still talk about Tuck as well. While I may never have the opportunity to really get to know the man who saved me from a potentially grim fate that day, those who knew him in life have shared with me a great deal about him. Over the years that followed the death of both Maxwell Tucker and Jeremiah Gray, 
there had apparently been some strange occurrences out in that forest. Someone would go missing from time to time. Others would turn up dead. Now and then, though, one of those presumed dead would turn back up, confused about what happened. Even after they closed a section off of the woods to the public, it wasn't easy to keep those curious enough from entering and sneaking in. A forest isn't something easily blocked off completely, but they still did what they could. While those who survived these strange occurrences had no recollection of how they made it out alive, I know now they reached safety, or who led them to it anyway. Whatever the case, ever since my encounter with the Grey, these unsettling events have seemed to come to an end. I like to think that Tuck finally finished that son of a bitch off for good. This may have allowed him to move on to whatever lies beyond this world. I have a feeling he's still out there, watching out for us. I spent a lot of time in those woods. The strange sensation, how vibrant and alive everything appears on this side of the looking glass. Still, should I ever have an opportunity to thank Maxwell Tucker for what he did for me, my best chance would be out there. Plus, if he is still out there, it's only fair that I keep watch along this side, just in case our old friend returns. I still miss my dad. I suppose I likely always will. That's the nature of loss, after all. Now that I finally feel I found my place in this world, I wish I could tell him now that his son is no longer lost in the woods, but found where he belongs within them. I doubt that either of us could have predicted that one. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Thank you for listening to my podcast, and if you want more stories like this, head over to my YouTube channel at RamiGTVYT. Until next time, guys, sweet dreams.